Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Well, welcome once again to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm Karen Cataline filling in for Alan today. I'm a commentator, columnist, all-around rabble-rouser, and uh, we have had a string of stellar guests today. And our next guest is co-founder of Common Ground Campus and a member of Human Rights Media Group. He's co-author with the late Dr. Vladimir Zelenko of Zelenko, How to Decapitate the Serpent, a very compelling title. Brent Hamachek joins us right now on The Alan Nathan Show. Hi, Brent. Good to have you with us. It's good to be here, uh, Karen. Thanks for having me. And just a, a quick uh, correction, it's Human Events Media Group, uh, Human oh, Rights sorry. Media Group, whoever they might be. God love them. Hope they're doing <laughs> good work for human rights. Uh, but that would be somebody different. Thank you for uh, making that clear. Human Events Media Group. So, Brent, uh, apparently something was going on, and it's not unique to Sarasota Memorial Hospital, uh, and there is an investigation going on as to the COVID-19 hospital protocols that were going on there. Uh, Talk to us about that and and help us get up to date as to where that is in the investigation and what actually happened. Right. So um, Sarasota, the Sarasota Memorial Hospital is a taxpayer-funded uh, hospital in Sarasota, Florida, of course. And next Monday morning, uh, the Zelenko Foundation, along with Moms for America and some other organizations, will be holding a press conference and then attending the open public meeting uh, that will be taking place in the hospital later that morning. And the purpose of our involvement, you know, we all know about the legacy of, of Dr. Zelenko and uh, how he fought uh, so strongly. Uh, first for early treatment of this disease, and then also finally at, towards the end of his life fighting against the vaccine. What's, uh, what's the case at Sarasota Hospital is that they are still treating patients with remdesivir and ventilators. In other oh. words, late-stage treatment for this disease instead of offering them early-stage, encouraging, by the way, encouraging um, hospital-approved physicians from treating people in the early stage of this disease with either hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, zinc, and then, of course, uh, azithromycin, a ZPAC, uh, as a supplement. This is what was originally known as the Zelenko Protocol and has been used all over the world successfully to treat millions of people. And at Sarasota Hospital, uh, they are still uh, treating people the old-fashioned way. Uh, the way where uh, when you treat them that way, they they likely pass away. And so mm-hmm. what we're going to do is lend our voice as a foundation that wants to carry on Dr. Zelenko's legacy to create a public outcry uh, against this, this sort of consignment to death, if you will, and to encourage the hospital to encourage its doctors, whether it's in the ER or member physicians, to treat people early and treat them properly. Brent, you know, there's so many ways to ask this question. Why would a hospital anywhere, and I venture to say that Sarasota Hospital is probably not the only one in the country, why would a hospital Mm -hmm. need so badly to be encouraged? That's what I think people are scratching their head on a regular basis. Why do they need to be pushed, encouraged, uh, 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 nudged, whatever you call it, to uh, engage in early treatment and save lives instead of uh, relegate patients to death and ventilators. 
People don't understand right. that. What do you think? Why? Well, I, I think, by the way, uh, we opened the segment with me uh, correcting you. Now I have to correct myself. I said Sarasota Hospital, Sarasota Memorial Hospital, just so I have the name right and nobody accuses me of, uh, of misstating. But uh, to answer your question, I think, I think the answer is crystal clear and unavoidable. Uh, this is about money. And it's always been about money. It's also been about power and control and those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, uh, there is more money in treating patients at the end of their days than there is in simply prescribing to them uh, a safe, effective drug that's been used for decades all over the world without side effects and um, a supplement like zinc. Um, There's no money in that. Right. And uh, but there is a lot of money in being uh, admitted in having someone admitted as an inpatient and then treating them with technology. Uh, And so and then the remdesivir thing. I mean, look, we we've had studies done um, after after Ebola. There were studies done on remdesivir. And we know that uh, it has quite well, I wanted to say harmful, but death is a click north of harmful. It has side effects that aren't good. And uh, so why are they following a protocol that makes no sense? Uh, I'm going to suggest quite cynically, skeptically, and honestly, it's really just about money. And it's just and, and I'm going to challenge you on that, because mm-hmm. don't we have to go one step further and ask, why are there so many financial incentives for treatments that are harmful and possibly deadly. It can't just be money when the Fauci protocols in, uh, provided massive incentives to use drugs and treatments that were deadly to the patients instead of using the ones that might actually help them get well. Well, uh, beyond money, of course, we, we all know the stories that have come out over time about uh, Dr. Fauci's involvement with everything from the Wuhan lab to remdesivir. Sorry, I'm tongue-tied there for a moment. But we know about sure. different financial uh, strings that have been connected. And I would suggest to you that if it's, some, it's, a, if it's about something more than money, then all that's left is killing for sport. So uh, dare I Terrifying. suggest that that could be someone's motive. So I'm going to or a disrespect for life, you know, pushing uh, a disrespect for life. This has to be looked in a looked at in a context of the very beginning of the covid covid when uh, everyday people were told they would be killing grandma if they didn't put a rag on their face. And yet there were governors, including Cuomo of New York, but not the only one who intentionally sent the virus into nursing homes and other places which killed thousands now how can you how can you really explain that if it is not to cultivate a disrespect for life well it cultivates a disrespect for life and understand what it also did and now we're going to go back to money because when we had people dying, people ostensibly being treated, okay, so, but with remdesivir and ventilators, and then they were dying. Well, what does that say? It says, gosh, we really need that vaccine for this disease because look at how many people die. And now we're right back to money because that vaccine never, ever could have been given emergency use authorization approval if there had been an accepted and known effective treatment for the virus. There was an accepted treatment. Dr. Zelenko coined that treatment. And, and, but if it had been widely accepted and acknowledged by our health officials, the FDA would not have been allowed to issue an emergency use authorization for the vaccine. Everybody has to remember that when it was introduced, it wasn't an approved FDA vaccine. It had emergency use authorization. So now we're back to money. And uh, and we're all you know, is... also back to force and back to a disrespect for life. And what we're doing yes, is we illustrating are. that they work hand in hand together. Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted. 
Oh, no. You and I are we're sort of playing dueling banjos here where we're both yeah. playing the same instrument and yes. a couple of different chords separate the two because we're not really separated at all, are we? We're both no. saying the exact same thing. And humans yeah. have been subjugating humans since the dawn of man. <sighs> yeah. It's Brent, we have like 15 time. seconds. I'm so sorry. Tell everybody how they can find you and follow your doing very important work. Well, go to the Zelenko Foundation website, zfreedom.org, and make a donation and support the cause. Brent Hamachek, what a pleasure to talk to you. Keep up that work. When we come back, we're going to talk about Tucker Carlson's January 6th footage right after this. Don't go away. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show on the Main Street Radio Network. This message is provided by Beringer Ingelheim. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer Ingelheim's Phase 3 Global Global Fibronir program. To learn more about Fibronir and eligibility requirements, visit fibronir-ipf.longboat.com and fibronir-ild.longboat.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country. But unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States including yours, but they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm Karen Cataline filling in for Alan today. And uh, one of the big stories, I don't always like to chase every big story because sometimes they're leading us just where they want to. Now the left is having to address Tucker Carlson's release and his continuing release of the January 6th footage. Here to talk about that in greater detail is Steve Bonta, executive senior editor at the New American Magazine. And he's also a longtime contributor to the magazine, writing on economics, foreign affairs, and American politics, among many other subjects. Steve Bonta, thank you for joining us here on The Alan Nathan Show. Thank you, Karen. Great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you, too, and especially to make sense of, if we can, a lot of people now, I'm glad to see, have actually watched the footage. And your article in the New American uh, talks about that. Tell us what you think is most important, because as I like to say, a lot of times these days, it's like drinking from a fire hose. What do you what do you look at first? Well, I got to say, Andy, with all these hearings that are that are that are occurring on Capitol Hill, it's just as you say, there's just a fire hose gush of of, of interesting news and revelations. And, you know, the January 6th release last week. Um, let's see a couple of things. First of all, I'd like to see more. Um, you know, I kind of had the impression there was going to be a, a daily occurrence and we kind of got a, a, a bunch of stuff on Monday and then not much since. So I, I don't know why that is, but um, it would be nice to see more. Now, what we have seen. Um, it's very clear that um, that the narrative that we've been having dinned into our heads for the last two two years plus of the violent insurrection and so forth is um, is a pretty feeble one. I mean, there there were a, there were a few episodes of violence and unruly behavior and vandalism. That that much is certainly true. Uh, you know, there are a few clashes between police and protesters and so forth. But the overwhelming majority of the people who entered the Capitol building that day did not quote unquote storm the Capitol, uh, but were in fact, as you can see very clearly on film, were, were for the most part ushered in by police, uh, including, you know, the guy, Mr. Horned Headpiece himself, um, you know, the guy that's become sort of the face of the insurrection, <laughs> this, mm. this dude that just sort of walked in and uh, was escorted all around and even, even shown uh, the, the one, there was only one item that the Capitol Hill police told Tucker ought to be, you know, blurred out for security reasons. And that was a particular door that they showed him. And apparently it wasn't that secure because they tried to open it and, and, and let him in, but, but they couldn't. So, um, so they showed him all around, gave him a tour. And then afterwards we see him, you know, offering a prayer of thanks in the, in the house floor. So, you know, whatever it was, it certainly wasn't an insurrection. Uh, it certainly wasn't in the main, a violent episode and, you know, and most of the people who who entered the Capitol uh, and it's impossible to tell how, how many people exactly entered the building or were outside in the grounds. Uh, but there were huge, huge numbers, thousands and thousands of people, obviously, a few of them, to be sure, engaged in hooliganism. But the overall tenor of the event was 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 relatively peaceful and orderly. And uh, that's that that's clear even from the rather limited footage that we've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, You know what, Steve, it seems as if in the current climate with the tons of examples of what my friend John Zamirak calls anarcho-terrorism, anarchy for us, tyranny for you, uh, you can never have enough evidence that that the narrative that they're throwing around wasn't true. Most of us knew that narrative wasn't true, despite endless dog and pony shows in prime time, all from the left, terrifying, jumping up and down about armed insurrection, even though they couldn't point to anybody who actually was armed, except the Capitol Police officer that killed Ashley Babbitt. We knew all of this. Um, While we're sitting around trying to get this evidence out, and I make no mistake, we need to get it out. We have to get it out. Uh, a lot of people already believe what the media told them uh, 10 months ago or more. What do you say about that? Well, sure. I mean, um, you know, a gentleman that lives lives next door to me uh, was going on fervently um, a few weeks back. We, we got on the subject of politics, and he talked about how Uh-oh. he voted for Trump. <laughs> 
Oh, he, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I tend to be somewhat guarded. I try not to make I'm teasing. I'm teasing. We need yeah. to return to a time when people express differences of opinion. So go ahead. Well, he, well, he <laughs> said, oh, you know, I voted for Trump and, and so forth. But after I saw what happened on January 6th, no way. And he went on and on and on talking about the violence and so forth. And, I, you know, I, I didn't call him on. This was before the Tucker tapes were released. But, uh, you know, that's all that he saw. You know, a, a few snippets, of, you know, scenes of you know, pure gas being thrown and people pushing against barricades and that, you know, breaking windows and that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I guess people, I mean, there, there's a large number of people, and, and I understand this perfectly, who don't have the political bacillus in their bloodstream. They're not, you know, they're not like you and I just constantly needing to keep up with events and understand things. They just want to live their lives. And so yeah. they pretty much rely on their information on, on whatever happens to be on the news and in the manner in which it's presented. So, One has you know, to I'm, wonder whether these tapes would change the mind of somebody like your neighbor. I assume you haven't it, talked to him since. No, um, I haven't. And, and possibly they would. I mean, obviously, they won't change the minds of the people who matter in this, on Capitol Hill. The hard oh, left, no. uh, leftists who are driving the agenda, who see nothing wrong with the mostly peaceful Antifa protests. I use the term, of course, with with dripping sarcasm, uh, <laughs> you know, in in uh, in tw- 21 was that 20, 2019, I guess I was actually outside. the United It was States 2020. It was in the oh, summer of 2020 yeah, when they were right, burning down Wendy's and taking over. Uh, large city street blocks. Uh, oh, sure. All with, this uh, rape and all and, that was OK. Oh, and they, yeah. And they burned a, a, a government courthouse. I guess it was in Portland, Oregon. And yes. in all these American yeah. cities going up in flames, of course, intermediate or intermittent. Excuse Didn't me, um, see any you know, primetime uh, hearings for that. No, no, of we? course not. What we did no. see was quite a quite a number of high profile Democrats uh, saying, you know, in, in effect, encouraging more of this and saying, you know, you need to keep raising money to get them you know. uh, to pay their uh, their bail. Sure. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, the left has always been, uh, you know, the party of violence and character. Well, the, 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 I would say the party, the faction of violence and character assassination. And we see that mm. with, with with this now, of course, what they're doing is they're attacking Tucker Carlson and, you know, defaming his character and going not actually addressing what's seen on film. But, yes. but instead, they never you know, do. insulting, demeaning, introducing, and that's what they do. You know, yeah. by their fruits, you shall know them. That's the key. <laughs> you know what, Steve? We only have a minute, and I guess the question continues to be asked, and I'll ask it to you. The, the frustrating part for most everyday citizens is when is there going to be some accountability for what we already know was going on? When will there be accountability for the lies, the deception, the propaganda, the gaslighting, that sort of thing? Do you think it'll happen with this evidence or not? And then tell everybody or they can find you and follow you. Sure. Well, there'll be a, there'll be accountability on the day or shortly thereafter the day when a sufficient number of Americans decide they're tired of being ruled by these elites and decide that they want to uh, to return to some form of self-government and take yeah. responsibility. That's a big, tall order these days because they thought they were. Uh, Steve Bonta, executive senior editor of The New American Magazine. You can find his work at The New American. Read that article on Tucker Carlson. It's really excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. We have to take a break of our next guest. Oh, what a story. You got to hear this when we come back. Stay tuned. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common. But after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold.
Not everyone is a morning person, and that's okay. At Burger King, we let you be you and have your morning your way. With a variety of menu items made just for you, satisfy any craving on any morning. Feeling savory today? How about a croissant sandwich? Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant. Perfect with hot or iced coffee. Is bacon more your thing? We do that too. Try a bacon, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich with crispy bacon, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant. Try it with an ice cold Coke. Or maybe you're craving something sweet. Then French toast sticks are sure to satisfy. Golden brown, piping hot, and perfect for dipping in a side of sweet syrup. Pair it with a simply orange juice. Why not? It's your morning. Complete your breakfast combo meal with hash browns and a beverage of your choice. Have your breakfast your way. Because morning person or not, you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Glowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes... When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM. So can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to the Ellen Nathan Show. Well, we kind of teased you earlier in the program about uh, parents who are designated by their own government as some sort of domestic terrorist. And we're talking about a really legal classification for daring to question and, oh, my God, disagree with teachers unions and others who are teaching all matter of very questionable material to their kids, as if they don't have a right to know what is being taught to their kids today. And as we know, there are reasons 
why parents are becoming concerned about that very thing. Here to talk about it with us, founder and chief visionary officer of Classical Conversations, which supports classical Christian homeschoolers in all 50 states and in 30 foreign countries, Leah Bortens joins us right now on The Alan Nathan Show. Hey, Karen. Thanks for having me on. So great to have you as well. I know there's a storm around, and so we are extra special happy (laughs) to have you. I was even going to ask you to stay for the last segment. So let's see how far we can get uh, by telling us about this one mom, and there have been many, 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 but uh, you can talk about this one mom who was harassed and even sued by the teachers' union for daring to see her daughter's school curriculum. Yeah, you know, everybody seems to be surprised by that. But, of course, I've been homeschooling for over 40 or almost 40 years now. And one of the reasons we homeschooled way back then was because to us it was an, it was obvious that an inherently socialistic education system was going to produce socialists. And that's not what we wanted our children to be raised as. And so now when you have things like that happening, to me it's no surprise. It's exactly what the system was meant to do. Public schools haven't failed us. They've done exactly what they, they've succeeded. They, they do what they're designed to do, which is to reduce us to the lowest common denominator and make Marxism out of the kids and so we shouldn't be surprised when these things happen i of course advocate just pulling your children out of the public school system and um, take advantage of all the school choice that's public uh, that's privately funded rather than publicly funded yeah well you clearly were prescient and you were and it says chief visionary officer you were probably (laughs) called some sort of a conspiracy theorist for daring to suggest that Marxism was being taught in public schools today. No, it it ain't a conspiracy theory. You can see it. Uh, They're also being taught. Kids are also uh, all of a sudden, it seems. It's nothing is really all of a sudden, but we're seeing pornography on library, grade school library shelves. I I guess this is a detour, but it, it just never ceases to amaze me how that could add into the whole notion of making little Marxists. Uh, Could you speak to that? And then we'll go back to this mom and what happened to her. Yeah, you know, I haven't um, heard what happened to her, so I can't really speak on that. I mean, I saw the headlines, but I didn't investigate it. So I try to not speak about things that I only saw the headlines on. That's kind of what's been getting us into trouble, isn't it? But, but, But she's one of the thousands of stories that have made headlines uh, since, you know, COVID, oh, happy monster came around because all of a sudden everyone's eyes are open, right? And and so people are recognizing that, wait a minute, I saw on my home computer over the last two years things that were happening at the schools, and I had no idea. So really, to me, it's almost a, a blessing because we're seeing the, you know, the writing on the wall. People are, are able to now go, oh, that's not what I want for my children. Before kind of the, um, you, you know, parents thought maybe their kids had what they did. And now they're seeing that we're just at the culmination of what five generations of families not being in charge of has gradually uh, become, whereas now the state's entirely in charge. And they, yeah. those people who's in the state should be in charge. And, you know, people will say, you know, why aren't parents more involved or more active? And I'll say, well, what school system did those parents go to? We've been training them to think this way for a really long time. Hmm. Um, absolutely. Uh, and, and to go back a bit, you know, the horrors of what was done in the name of a 99.86% non-lethal virus lethal to people who went to a hospital for help and were fed remdesivir and ventilators, which we just talked about earlier Mm -hmm. in the hour. Uh, What we found was that it was an opportunity for parents to actually see what their kids were being taught. And some Mm -hmm. of them even uh, discovered that they're (laughs) talk about how ignorant they are. Some of the teachers even told the kids not to let their parents know what they were being taught. Amazing, isn't it? 
Well, of course it is. But, you know, our culture no longer believes that the family is the bedrock of community. They don't believe anymore that, um, uh, you know, you can even identify with your correct sex. There's just this um, kind of error of, of lack of definition of words and ideas. And it's because they've been basically uneducating over the last 150 years. And so, like, in the 1920s, we had a proficient literacy rate of over 90% in our country, and that's when hardly anybody went to school. Um, public education has succeeded in bringing us down to a 14% proficient literacy rate. 14? So Did you say? 14. 14. 14? And let me define. Oh, my. Yeah. yeah, and what proficient means is that you can take more than one resource, read them, and synthesize an idea. Sure, everybody can read the oh. McDonald's menu, and they can all read headlines, but they aren't trained to think, to hold ideas, to, to ask questions, and then come to conclusions after thinking about it. So, it's, yeah. again, it's, to me, it's no surprise when the whole culture hasn't been taught to just um, ruminate on words and ideas, it just you know, to blandly go about your day. And it's not necessarily any individual's fault, right? I mean, who doesn't like things that are free? Who doesn't like daycare so you can go work? So we've been confusing um, the free market with socialism. We've been confusing the role of education versus school. And so now it's just an opportunity to define the terms properly and maybe get us back on track again. Yeah. Lee, um, one thing that I just want to maybe throw into the mix is that while it's true, this broad cultural influence to encourage intellectual laziness, making assumptions without checking it out, not thinking for oneself, which is a huge part of socialism. I think what we're Mm -hmm. seeing now is a whole bunch of people who truly want to hold on to those values, see those values as more vociferously under attack than ever before. Nobody voted uh, to be told that you will own nothing and uh, be happy. Uh, nobody voted uh, for these bureaucrats who are teaching racism and bigotry and pornography to school kids. So in a strange way, maybe it's encouraging that they're doing it in such a dramatic and uh, uh, brazen fashion that people are deciding to pull their kids out of public schools. What are you seeing as part of uh, the the growing homeschool movement, which invariably Christians and others get attacked for daring to educate their own children themselves. Sure. So um, there's been a, a doubling of attendance at Association for Classical Christian Schools. Um, homeschooling doubled. Uh, the, just the basic uh, Christian and private schools have had about a 50% increase since COVID. There's waiting lists at private education um, opportunities all around the United States. And of course, one of the reasons homeschooling is attractive is because the cost is, uh, you know, manageable by most people. Um, I know a lot of folks will tell me that uh, people, you know, can't afford private education. But one of the reasons they can't afford private education is because there's not enough. Um, um, opportunities for private education to compete with each other. Instead, we have to compete with the public school and its funding. And our organization is adamantly against these vouchers and ESAs because they now turn the private education into public education. Because who ah. funds you is who is who. Well, with the shekels come the shekels, is what we say. And so people need to learn to vote with their pocketbook. Um, if I don't like my kids eating sugar all day, I go buy something else for them. And for whatever reason, we've been brainwashed into thinking the government owes us an education. And it's funny how Christians and conservatives, Republicans, who would never say that universal health care is a good idea or universal housing or universal basic income, somehow think universal education is a good idea. It has all the same failings as those other socialist models. Um, but right now, the Republicans are particularly the friends of the free market. Yeah. Well, that bears some further discussion. Can you stay on the line for one more segment? 
Lee? I can. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, we are holding on to her in the bad weather, so we're going to take advantage of it. We'll we'll continue our discussion with Lee Bortons right after this on The Alan Nathan Show. Stay tuned. Don't go away. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who who got got his his first first job, job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. 
with PVA staff working inside VA hospitals. No other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. We're wrapping up the second hour. I'm Karen Cataline. Thanks to everybody that makes the Alan Nathan Show possible. And thanks for allowing me into your home and in the big chair of Alan Nathan. And um, it's a pleasure to be a part of the team. We are uh, still talking to Lee Bortons, founder of Classical Conversations, which supports classical Christian homeschoolers in all 50 states and in 30 foreign countries. Thanks for staying with us, uh, Lee Bortons. Thanks for having me. I'm wondering well, if in this segment we can talk about some of the solutions to these problems that we've been talking about. Yes, I would uh, go right ahead. Go for <laughs> Because <laughs> that's what I'm all about. You know, um, the Bible tells us if you chase out a demon, seven more come if you don't have a good response. And so when I was, you know, 20, uh, 20 to 40 years ago, starting to homeschool and asking people to not put their kids in public education, you can't just, you know, say don't. You have to have a do. Otherwise, they don't know what to do next. And so I started Classical Conversations for that reason. But right now I belong to a church that if you attend our church, we have four different options for you in private education. One is we help sponsor a a five-day-a-week school. We sponsor a a three-day-a-week school. We sponsor the one-day-a-week Classical Conversations, parent help for homeschoolers. And we also have a scholarship fund if those um, uh, options aren't of interest to you. So we have 120 children in our church, and not one of them goes to public school. can you imagine what would happen if just every church and synagogue started a private school tomorrow of some kind? We wouldn't need the public schools overnight. There's so many of them. Yes, and so, it's you know, no we, wonder that the teachers union and others are so retaliatory uh, towards parents who take their kids' education that seriously. So what about what about that retaliation? What do you do to help parents, because everybody knows people of faith, of many faiths, tend to be the greatest enemies of Marxists and communists because mm-hmm. they don't want any competition, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, that's right. They don't want the competition. And so um, the best advice I ever got, because uh, I was politically involved from the beginning, was uh, people involved in um, uh, various parties telling me, Lee, you're on to a good thing. It's the grassroots that make a difference. It's the parent making a choice. It's that business owner trying to offer a new entrepreneurial activity that makes our country uh, change without violence, without revolution. And so I encourage everybody listening to try to find either a family to sponsor or a small school to sponsor. Start a micro school. Start an evening school. Start a weekend school. Help fund a mom so she can stay at home. Send your kids to her for piano lessons so she can make some money to stay home. We just mm. need to help one another, and then the, we won't be will be attacked. But that's you know to be expected because we'll be undermining one of the most powerful systems there are. But yeah. what do you want to do otherwise? Acquiesce to it. So the thing is, by helping each other in these alternative movements, then we're stronger because when one of us is attacked, we have associations to help um, you know fight the battles or to fund what happens. I love your so positive attitude and your passion. This is great. And you've been doing this how long? Um, since 1983. Wow. A long wow. time. <laughs> what do you tell parents who want to do this, who have the passion, but as you pointed out, some of them can't afford to stay home and homeschool? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know what afford means. I try to not govern other people's finances, but I think what happens is people assume expenses, and they also uh, assume that they don't. Ha- there's not help available. So, like, my husband and I sponsor scholarship funds, and we work with homeschooling groups that offer scholarship funds. There is so much private money for private education, and what happens is people don't know about it. So I just would challenge any parent that's interested in um, getting some uh, financial support, 
to go to Google and just put in your state's name and say private educational scholarships. See what you find. The other thing is to talk to your church or your um, association, your mutual aids organizations, whether it's a fraternity club like the Lions or the um, uh, Kiwanis. See if they can't get together a private opportunity to help the local people. Everybody knows people need help, but they all think the government's going to do it. Yes, and that's uh, just the idea that they want to perpetuate. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. remember Julia... Julia, we're going to take care of you cradle to grave. Of course, we're not going to take care Mm -hmm. of you. And we're going to take away your right to think for yourself and to believe as Mm -hmm. you believe, right? Um, Yeah. What about your own kids? Are they now grown? And uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, so our four sons all went through classical conversations, and they all eventually got um, college degrees. They now own their own businesses. They're in their late 20s and late 30s. I have grandchildren in classical conversations. I have a daughter-in-law that uh, tutor in classical conversations. So we're just uh, committed as a family to help one another. You know, and you can see what happens there because our expectation is a legacy of education. Should one of our children have a, a special need occur or have a financial downturn, their whole, all their siblings are going to jump in and help, right? Yeah. And so that's the kind of culture we want to be part of because then we know our resources are strong enough that then we can help our neighbors also. But if you yes. break the family apart, you get what we have now. Which is, uh, if I may say, one of the reasons why the nuclear family is so much under attack. We had uh, Antifa and others claim that that was their first order of business to break up and uh, to get rid of the nuclear family so that the government could be their parents. The government can be their teachers. Um, I'm looking at your website, uh, Leah, uh, Lee, excuse me, Bortons. And how can people in various other parts of the country, wherever you are, Uh, take advantage of your website, classicalconversations.com. So um, just go to the site, and there's a place to put in your zip code. And if you put in your zip code, uh, a number of locations will will pop up of people that are local that will be willing to contact you and talk to you about homeschooling, hopefully with Classical Conversations. But um, they're just there to reach out and support the community. And so we have the one-day-a-week program. It's not a drop-off program. Parents have to attend because we don't usurp parents' responsibilities. Instead, we partner with parents so they can be more responsible. And we, it's very difficult to homeschool classically as a Christian. What do those words even mean? So we all need a friend. And so we meet once a week for half the year in order to encourage each other in our endeavor. Yeah. Now, is this online education, which was, of course— huge uh with the advent of COVID, and you hear that music we gotta run no it is we do not believe in online education for children it is all face-to-face thank you so much karen thank you very much for for joining us classicalconversations.com that wraps it for this edition of the alan nathan show karen cataline happy to be filling in stay strong speak out and uh do it with courage i'm out of here The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.